Welcome to episode eight of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there is nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for a virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hey, Kristen. Hi, Catherine. So because of all the sexual tension in the last two books that we've been reading, obviously last week was a big one. Um, (laughs) we really thought that it'd be fun to talk about book boyfriends today. So Kristen, who are you, your favorite book boys? Um, so I will say that I think Ron Weasley from Harry Potter is probably my OG book boyfriend, but I sort of tend to fall in love with whoever I'm reading about at the time, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of authors make really awesome characters that you fall in love with. So it's really easy to collect book boyfriends, we'll say. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always had a thing for comic book Thor, uh, not Chris Hemsworth Thor, although I do like I do like him too, but comic book Thor I've always had a thing for. Mm-hmm. Um and also the Bat Boys from uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses. So like Reese, Cassian, and Asriel. Uh I know that Reese Kim uh, is sort of problematic to some people, but I can't help it. Uh, and also Jace from City of Bones. At one point, I wanted to get a tattoo dedicated to him. Like when I was a teenager, I was, <laughs> I was dead set. <laughs> He was like your book husband, not just he was, boyfriend. He was. And you probably remember me being obsessed with him. Yeah. I remember one of the books, there's a, a a miscommunication trope, maybe we'll call it. And I remember you telling me about it before I had even like heard of these <laughs> books. And I'm like, I don't even know what she's talking about anymore. But you were so <laughs> mad. And you were like, in the next book, I'm going to look it up before I even finish reading it. <laughs> Yeah, I was really, I was really upset about it. (laughs) Well, that's how you know it's good character. Yeah. Who are your book boyfriends? Um, I definitely have to say that Darcy from Pride and Prejudice is like my OG number one. He is the love of my life. I know. Why can't we all have a Darcy? Right? And I love the Matthew McFadden version from the 2005 Pride and Prejudice film. I but you also really liked Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, not the the Darcy was okay in that movie. It was mostly the Elizabeth in that movie. She's just a badass. So, yeah. I loved her. Yeah. My uh my first probably real book boyfriend was also Harry Potter because that was one of the first series I ever got into. But it was actually Sirius Black, um, the book version. Gary Oldman wasn't exactly what I pictured. He was a bit older, but he was still obviously amazing. But I I loved Sirius Black, a tortured man that I was like, I could fix him and make his life so much better. (laughs) You know, like we all do when we're children. (laughs) So it's just funny to me that you we both pick harry potter boys but i pick like the awkward teenager <laughs> you pick the grown up man who's been in jail <laughs> like <laughs> yeah that's 
Yeah. Yeah. Then Lord of the Rings was probably my next love. And it was obviously Strider, um, Aragorn. And I did see the movies first. And I got to say, Viggo Mortensen was probably half the reason that I fell in love with him. And also the dark hair and the broodiness and that whole get up was obviously my jam. He was always sweaty. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yep. Well. (laughs) You have a type. I do. Yep. (laughs) That hockey hair. (laughs) Oh, my. Um, And then, yeah, like you said, whatever I'm reading about, I kind of fall for someone in it. So Dimitri from Vampire Academy and Rowan from Throne of Glass and Will Herondale from um, the Infernal Devices trilogy all have a special spot in my heart. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. Like all of them, I would not, uh, I guess, what's the saying? I wouldn't I wouldn't kick any of them out of bed. For eating crackers? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. 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 So we're on part four of five of House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. We're really getting through it. Yeah. So this week we are talking in chapters 52 to 70. Uh, And just a heads up, we are not a spoiler-free zone and things could get a little saucy. As you should know if you listen to last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, last week got very saucy. Yeah. <laughs> Innuendos all over the place. Exactly. <laughs> um, so if you need a refresher, last week we left off with um, Bryce finding out that... Um, there was this diagnostic test that they could have done on Danica's clothes at the time of her death. Uh, And it was the newer technology and it belonged to the Fae. Uh, In other words, it belonged to the Autumn King and he declined permission to use their technology in other words to run this diagnostic on Danica's clothes so they were hoping it it would have given them a lead uh, to do this test and the autumn king turned them down so that was I guess two years ago book time the current day Bryce finds out about this that the autumn king refused permission to let them use the test so she flips out and boots it and runs out of her apartment and just starts running towards the five roses district which is where her father lives that's where we left off last week (laughs) this week we're picking up right where that left off and it's sort of i find a little bit of a it's it's a bit anticlimactic So she goes there to tell off her father and sort of be like, you knew that Danica was like my closest friend, my closest person in the entire world. And you deliberately withheld a piece of technology that could have potentially led to a killer for her. And 
she's going to tell him off and we want it so bad her to finally confront her father because they mm-hmm. have not met yet at this point of the book. Uh, but when she gets to his villa, the guards don't let her in. So she doesn't get to have that confrontation. And I found that really like unsatisfactory, we'll say. Yeah. Kind of like all the sexual tension. Very similar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's like a ton of build up, and then it just, it just goes away. Fizzles. Yeah. Um, I guess Rune knows that she's going there. So he meets her. And tells her that the that the Autumn King, her dad, did it to help Bryce and protect her. But like in my head, that's bullshit. Everything we've seen so far about the Autumn King, he doesn't give a shit about her. He has not made any attempt to recognize her as his child. He has not had a relationship with her. He he hasn't done anything to make us think that he has a modicum of feeling for her at all. Mm-hmm. Uh so I, I don't think, I think Rune is sort of projecting maybe, like maybe that's what he would have done because he actually does care about her. Yeah. But I don't think the Autumn King cares at all. No. Uh, she gets pissed at Rune for trying to make excuses for the Autumn King and essentially tells him that he is never allowed to utter Danica's name again, which I also found a bit harsh. Like, I understand she's all in her feelings right now mm-hmm. and Rune is sort of there and he's making excuses for douchebaggery. <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't Rune's choice to withhold that info, like that test. So I just, I feel like it wasn't his fault. She's just taking it out on him. Yeah. Cause it's easy to. Uh, so she's so mad and she doesn't get the resolution she wants. So she goes to a whiskey bar and finally breaks her no drinking rule that she's had since Danica's death and starts like shooting whiskey. Um, I guess Hunt shows up and he's trying to sort of trying to, to comfort her. Uh, however, it doesn't work. And she sort of is so used to pushing people away. And when she is hurt and angry, she that's what she does. She's, she pushes everyone away. So she sort of hits him where it hurts by es- essentially digging at his relationship with Shahar, who is his dead lover. So she makes a dig at her. Obviously had this budding, like... It's not one of those relationships where they don't tell each other about their feelings, mm-hmm. right? Like their feelings for each other are obvious, if that makes sense, to mm-hmm. each other. Like they're mutually attracted to each other. They're sort of coming together. They know what they mean to each other. Yeah. They've so been very, They've been very open and like talking to each other about everything. Right. And the fact that uh, Hunt has said, like, there's been no one else I've had. I haven't loved since her. I haven't, like, since Shahar. I haven't, you know, been interested in anyone since Shahar. And then, yeah, absolutely. Of course, she's, you know, feeling a little bit insecure. But especially now, since she's like sad about something else, she's like, I'm going to be sad about everything that I feel because. Yeah. 
I want to feel miserable even more. And it's it's what a lot of, not everybody, but a lot of people do that. They mm-hmm. feel sad about one thing. They start thinking about every other sad thing in their life. But he was trying to help. And yeah. I think it, I don't think it was very nice that she sort of like brought, she like hit where it really hurt with Shahar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Shahar to him is like Danica to her in yeah. my mind. So... Well, yeah, we've got all the parallels throughout all of their talks between yeah. the two. So I think that's how we're supposed to see them. So, yeah. So I don't think she would forgive him for bringing up Danica in a, in a negative way. So I don't think it's fair that she brings up Shahar like that. No. Um, I guess he leaves the bar. And after he leaves, she sort of feels guilty then. Uh, and, and it's true, like you would, you know, you say something shitty to your friend, you do, you feel bad after. Um, so she goes and gets groceries and brings them back to the apartment and he's there and she straight up apologizes, which I actually really enjoyed that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times they drag out this conflict and they like keep it quiet. You know what I mean? Like they pretend it didn't happen. And then later on it comes out like even more explosively if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like the conflict gets bigger but i like that she recognizes she was wrong almost immediately and in me almost immediately apologizes Mm -hmm. so i think as two people who are developing a relationship i think at this point they're really good with for the most part with communication yeah um she also then says that essentially she's been a mess since even before Danica died. So she's admitting that her sort of adult life has been a bit of a mess. Uh, she's, because she's only like she was only 23. Everyone's a mess at 23. I know everybody that is 23 thinks that they're like the only person ever that's a mess. But everyone's a mess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know very many people that have their life together at 23. I'll just say it. <laughs> no. At like if anybody. No. But anyway, she felt like even before Danica died, she was a mess because she was half, only half Faye. Uh, so her status isn't, you know, she sort of looked down upon that way. Uh, and she has a lame degree. I think she's got like an art history degree or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess she felt compared to her friends she wasn't really going anywhere so she had this circle of friends danica was the alpha the pack was eventually gonna be the alpha like all the werewolves possibly all the shifters they say at one point yeah she was super strong super successful uh juniper had a lot of talent as a dancer like everyone sort of thought knew that she would be going places that way and um fury is a mysterious we don't really know what fury does but whatever it is she's good at it because she's deals with all these higher-ups and like going and traveling all the time she's just super successful and everyone's afraid of her (laughs) yeah everyone's afraid so yeah so she just felt like she wasn't going anywhere and sort of like valid point You know what I mean? Like she didn't have a long-term plan for her life. Not saying she had to have one. No. 
but it's easy to feel, I guess, it, it's easy for her to compare herself to friends who are in the minority, but she just happened to be friends with three people that did have a plan. Mm-hmm. Even though they are like minority people, 23 year olds. Like with a plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> with a plan at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially like, they're all like, they all live such long lives. I feel like, I just feel like her feelings are valid mm-hmm. of feeling inferior to her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, her and Hunt then sit down and have a little bit of a meaningful conversation. Uh, she finally tells him about the time her and Danica discovered an animal smuggling ring and they decide they're going to break it up since uh, none of the, um, no one in the 33 or none of the, the arc, like none of the angels or any of the soldiers would help. So they went to break it up themselves and they almost died <laughs> in the process. So that's sort of been our over, our overarching, um, you know, every once in a while she talks about the time that Danica told her she loved her and the time that they're like overlooking a cliff of a picture and they're beat up, but the, their arms are around each other. We keep getting snippets of this scene mm-hmm. and now we finally know what it, what it was. So they went to break up an animal smuggling ring. <laughs> I thought it was funny that the, uh, the bad guys were like lizard men, like lizard <laughs> shifters. So all I could think of were like snakes, like really big snakes slithering around on the ground and like trying to beat them up. I don't know. <laughs> snakes trying to beat them up. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's literally what I thought of. I don't know why, but that's, that was my, that was in, in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, I guess Bryce says that yes, her and Bright, her and Danica almost died, but that's who Danica was. She was someone that helped the less fortunate. So I think she's really trying to come to terms now with the idea that Danica stole the horn. Mm-hmm. Because thing, how could Danica do that when that's not who she wasn't a thief? She was somebody who helped people less fortunate than herself and risked her own life for other people. So Mm -hmm. she couldn't reconcile what she knew about Danica versus what she's learning about Danica now. Uh, Hunt uh, then sort of shares his own tidbit of information and says that he still agrees with the rebellion that he participated in. Uh, And he says that he thinks the, archangel hierarchy is stupid and in all fairness we don't get a ton of information on what he means by the archangel hierarchy like are is he talking about the asteri that rule the world is he talking about the archangels that like michael and sandriel that rule territory or like what sort of hierarchy is he referring to? Is he talking about, uh, you know, the whole notion of their world of, you know, like the Asteria on top, the archangels ruling, then the Fae and all the veneer, like being elite and then the humans being slaves. Like, is that what he's talking about? 
Mm-hmm. We sort of don't get a whole lot of information on what exactly the rebellion was about other than a rebellion. Yeah, we really don't. And like, obviously there's another one going on now. With humans. With humans. And they kind of have so they at least compare the two, but like, it seems like they were different because there's a lot of angels now that are slaves. And obviously the fire sprites, yeah, they were, they joined it as well. So it seems different than this one, but we really don't get a whole lot about the differences of the two. Yeah. So they start talking a little bit about uh, Bryce making the drop. And she says, well, she doesn't really have an anchor because Danica was going to be her anchor and she was going to be Danica's anchor. And he's he's listing off people that she could use. Like, what about Rune? What about Juniper? Um, but she says that she, she wouldn't feel right using o- other people. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing too. Uh, she says it doesn't feel right. And she sort of... It's one of my favorite explanations of their friendship given on this page. It's page 486, if anyone has the book. Um, She says, I know people don't get it. It's just a light went out inside me when it happened. Danica wasn't my sister or my lover, but she was the one person I could be myself around and never feel judged. The one person that I knew would always pick up the phone or call me back. She was the one person who made me feel brave because no matter what happened, no matter how bad or embarrassing or shitty it was, I knew I had her in my corner. That if it all went to hell, I could talk to her and it would be fine. And I just found that a really great explanation of their friendship because we're getting it all along in this book. We're getting we're we're getting how much Danica meant to Bryce just because of how she's acting, how she's not living anymore. She's just an empty shell. She almost committed suicide. Like we're getting all that, but to have her vocalize and actually explain what it was about Danica, I just really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she sort of says that she can't move on and do anything that gives her joy because her being happy reminds her of Danica and she says she doesn't feel like she deserves to be happy, which is such a huge, like, obviously I know that a lot of people feel this way in, in their life, but I just find that so heartbreaking. Like thinking that you don't deserve happiness in your life. I just, I find it really upsetting. I think it's like Sarah J. Maas does a great job of showing depression and grief in Bryce and it really helps people understand if they read it and they haven't gone through it but they know someone who's going through it I think she does a great job with all of the the feelings really yeah like it's it's very believable Mm -hmm. so you know it really does an awesome job of of explaining the grief and and it makes you feel it too. Like it's it's yeah. good writing where you actually you feel for her. You feel for a pretend person. <laughs> well, we, we were just talking about how we were in love with pretend boys. So yeah. it's it's okay to feel for yeah. pretend friends. <laughs> right. 
after all that sort of the confession, uh, she offers him the spare room of her apartment permanently. Like even after their case is over, if he wants to move in, he can. And this is a huge step for her. Because if we remember at the beginning of the book, she said that there had been three people total in the apartment, her mom and stepdad and Juniper, and that is it. Nobody else has stepped foot inside her apartment. So for her to go from that to offering it up to him to be her roommate Mm -hmm. is, is a huge step for her character, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, interesting little breadcrumb that we get next. Uh, I guess she goes to sleep at the end of the day and the white cat appears in her room. So, um, if you remember from last episode, um, the white cat is the, uh, the, one of the princes of hell, Adis, that she knows she called on him and summoned him to ask him some questions uh, and he likes to appear in this dimension as a white cat sometimes. Uh, so he appears in her room and sort of while she's sleeping, sort of says to her, like, he sort of implies that she needs to make the drop. Because if the Autumn King knew about her, he would kill her. We don't know what it is like the Autumn King doesn't know about her. Like, we don't know what that is. Uh, so we don't know what Adis is talking about at this point. But she's sort of like half asleep and he's trying to talk to her while she's sleeping to sort of put it in her mind. Um, Adis also says he wants to finish something with her after she does her drop. So again, it's just a little breadcrumb that we don't have solved yet. Yeah. And doesn't get solved this book. No, it does not. So this is another thing that I love about Sarah J. Mass is she's so good at at breadcrumbing. I'm making mm-hmm. it into a verb. She breadcrumbs. <laughs> she sprinkles like not everything is solved in this one book. You know what I mean? It's not one of those types of, of trilogies where we sort of get a little bit of a tidy up and then the next book sort of continues on where we left off. But like you know, it's not one of those books. It's she's dropping you hints about stuff that might not get solved for another two books. But it's like yeah. she's leaving you this trail and it's maddening, but in a good way. Yeah, for sure. You're, you know, you're like, what do you want, Adis? <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Uh, but that's it for, uh, for Adis. He says, you know, he needs to finish something with her. Then he's off again. She never fully wakes up for that. Uh, she wakes up in the morning. She mentions that she needs coffee to survive. And I was just like, yes, you are my spirit animal. I also need coffee to survive. I will headache if I don't have it. We've obviously named our podcast after the fact that we both love coffee. Yeah. So I liked that little nod in there. Um <laughs> They finally get a hold of that Faye tech that was previously withheld. uh, And they get some of Danica's clothes to test. They get it from Jezba's uh, gallery. 
I guess Danica had some clothes stored there um, and Bryce never bothered to move it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they give it to Victoria. She's one of the Triari. She's a wraith. So I think we've, we have encountered her before, uh, but they give it to her to test. Um, Micah then summons Hunt into his office. Um, he's pissed because they haven't solved the case yet. Uh, and I find like we're getting more and more asshole Micah. So yeah. like he's being an asshole here and it's a, been a definite shifting character. We've talked about it before that he, at the beginning he was portrayed as somebody fair and just and kind. And now we're sort of getting, um, I guess he's sort of like devolving into maybe his true self. Like he's letting his true self out a little bit more. Yeah. Um, he's threatening to sell Hunt back to Sandriel. He's saying, if you don't solve this, like you can forget about the deal. Maybe I'll sell you. Like he's, he's being a dick. Um, he gives him another file, which is his sign of a person to kill. Um, and obviously Hunt is gone all day because again, Micah can dictate what sort of death to bestow on this person in the file. So he can tell him that he's allowed to use a gun, not allowed to use a gun, allowed to use knives, not allowed to use knives. And that sort of dictates how fast or slow this person is going to die. Like, is he going to be tortured all day or is it just a quick, like, in and out sort of moment? Um, so I guess he's gone all day, which means he essentially tortured a person all day. Um Bryce is home at her apartment and sort of like pacing back and forth, like wondering where he is. He's been gone for a super long time. Um, He won't answer his phone. So she's stressed. She's, it's another sort of shift in her characters. Like she's letting herself care about someone else. Um, She literally like stoops to calling her brother. And the last time she spoke to her brother was when she told him, like, you're not allowed to utter Danica's name. Like, it wasn't that long ago, like, time-wise. But they literally haven't spoken at all since that fight. And she calls him, and I found this funny, but, like, she calls him to ask if if he had seen Hunt. I'm like, of course he hasn't. Yeah. But – it just seems like she's looking for a connection. She's looking for someone to comfort her and for her to vent to and just and let her worries out too. Um, but she's too stubborn to say it. Um, he finally comes home, sort of when she's on the phone with Rune, like saying, oh, he's been gone all day. I don't know where he is. And then all of a sudden he walks in. She's like, okay, bye. Yeah. She like really basically hangs up on Rune. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for calling. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like super late at night. Uh, and he's like shell shocked. Like he just walks in. He doesn't say anything. He's like vacant the same way she is a lot. And it's sort of like a nobody's home situation. And he just goes into the shower and turns it on to like blistering hot and gets in. Um we sort of get a little bit from his perspective at this point. 
he sort of realizes that she waited up for him because it was really late. And he says that he sort of saw the relief in her eyes when he was okay. And said that he sort of, it sort of, her, her caring about him and her feelings, her realization that he wasn't hurt made him feel even worse about torturing and killing somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say props to Bryce because she figured out immediately what was going on. Like she figured out, oh, he was on a job. He just killed somebody. Like she figured it out like that. Yeah. Um, He was in the shower for 40 minutes before she checked on him. And I'm sorry. Can your shower run super hot for 40 minutes? I was just going to say that. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I would love to have a shower that ran hot for 40 minutes. Right? It must be the magic. The first light or something. Like, it has to be. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Minus so. the fact that we're going to get into it. It's going to be a bit serious. But, like, apart from the seriousness that's happening right now, I'm so jealous that he gets a 40-minute shower and the heat doesn't go away. Yep, same. (laughs) So I guess he was in there for a really long time. And she's like, well, geez, what's taking him so long? So she goes in and she saw him. He was like cowering at the bottom of the shower, like sitting in the shower naked. And he He was was naked in the shower? I know. (laughs) I know. Isn't that wild? Uh, So he was on the floor of the shower, like curled up and like, you know, almost like rocking back and forth. But he was letting the scalding hot water beat on his, his back and his shoulders and his arms. And he was blistering himself. He had the water on like boiling hot. So his skin would blister and burn, then heal because of his ava- his like advanced healing, and then it would blister and burn again. And he just kept let the water do that over and over and over and over again for forty minutes at this point. And she, they have this like this really raw moment. She realizes that he does this after every single kill. He punishes himself by burning himself over and over and over again. And it's, I say this a lot, but it's, it's literally one of my favorite lines in the book. She says, you look how I feel every day. And it's just such an amazing line. I feel like. Yeah, I agree. It really shows how they're both really just punishing themselves for being alive at this point. And they're both in the same place mentally. Yeah. And like, he just looks so defeated and vacant and empty. And it makes you realize how broken both of them are. And they've both been dealing with their traumas alone. And it's like, almost serendipitous that they finally met this other person who understands what they've been going through and mm-hmm. like somebody that they don't have to apologize to for being a mess. Yeah. It's it's so 
unbearably sad to read it and realize that they've been dealing with this whole thing by themselves alone. Yeah. And hunt for like hundreds of years. Yeah. It's, it's so sad. Um, so she, she takes care of him. She washes him. She like turns the hot water down. So it's not scalding him anymore. She washes him and takes care of him and dresses him and tucks him into bed. And he sort of silently like asks her to stay, like makes a motion or like, you know, a little, a little movement to make her stay because he's, he's so broken. He just wants company. So she gets into bed with him and strokes his hair until he falls asleep. So there's no like, it even specifically states that she briefly makes the, uh, she briefly notices that he's full on naked and like she notices the penis (laughs) like she does, but she says she has to like turn that part off obviously because obviously he's not not the time (laughs) definitely not the time or the place place. could be the place but not the time (laughs) yeah no you're right it could be the place but you're right it's it's definitely not the time so you know she strokes his hair in bed until he falls asleep and it sort of seems really out of character for her so far like she's this tough badass like um you know smart party person who you know like she makes no um she makes it no secret that she used to enjoy partying and this is such a a vulnerable maternal sort of side to her that we haven't seen yet so it's really it's a really no, it's another nuance to her character i find mm-hmm. um funny we we go from the really heavy and really dark to now all of a sudden this really funny part <laughs> when he wakes up um he says it smells like paradise like home and eternity and where he was meant to be so i'm wondering like does that sound like mates to you it does yeah that sounds like a lot of Especially Sarah J. Mass's other books. It sounds like how she describes mates in her other books, for sure. Right. In her other books, she does say that smell is one of the first ways that they recognize each other, right? The mm-hmm. mating bond. Yeah. I guess the only thing I wonder is, in this world, can angels have mates? Like, I, yeah. can, see, I can see the fae, because they sort of seem like the same Similar, sort of yeah. fae than in her other books, but can angels and if they can is it the same sort of thing yeah it's a good question um (laughs) then i guess he opens his eyes and i guess he realizes that so his head originally was like sort of low on her shoulder for her and she was like sitting up and he was more lying down and i guess throughout the night his head slipped further and further down her torso so his face, when he opens his eyes, is very close to her vagine. <laughs> so, like, is that what smells like paradise? <laughs> is it her vagine or is it just her in general? 
Like I just <laughs> I didn't realize vagines could smell like home and eternity all at once. Yeah. I don't I don't think they do. But <laughs> that's another that's another point on the mate direction, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's something you would have to ask somebody who spends a lot of time in a there. vagina. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you say they smell like home and or eternity or something like that? Like, I just I thought it was a cute, funny little moment. Like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> his head is right next to her vagine. Um, in the morning, I guess they meet in the kitchen, and he kisses her cheek to thank her for taking care of him. And like, there's so much sexual tension in the morning. I guess he's feeling a little bit better, but like. You know how when they do that slow, like, kiss the cheek and then they linger there for a while and just, like, inhale their scent? We already know he, like, has a thing for her smell, you know, from the neck nuzzling. And from five seconds ago. And from five seconds ago when he (laughs) loved the smell of her vagine. (laughs) Um. We have sort of a tropey moment where he can smell her arousal. Like, I would find this a very inconvenient trait to have. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to read in public, for one. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do much in public. No, like, it would you- be ugh, gross, gross. I'm just thinking about being at work now and, like, <laughs> all the old men that I work with. It'd be awful. Yeah, and, like... I literally work with teenagers. Oh my God, that's even worse. (laughs) Like I just, it would be so bad if that was a power that I possessed because I just feel like that's all I would smell. Well, that too, yeah. But if they ever smelled it off you, you would just have to die. Yeah. (laughs) If you were reading at work, you would just have to die. There's nothing out of it. I feel like it's a very- Jump off the roof. Yeah, it's a very (laughs) inconvenient thing to be able to smell. From people. But it's so, yeah, but it's so common in all the books where there's like supernatural beings that they can smell it. Yeah, it's true. In our last book, same thing Discovery of Witches, yes, Matthew true. could smell cool. when she was turned on. He could- and she's a professor. What if she had any vampire students? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's less bad in college. Like everyone can just be like, oh, well. We're adults. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, you know, he smells her arousal, which of course he can. And of course, she's sort of imagining them together and imagining them like in the kitchen. Um, And she, again, of course, like presses her thighs together to stop the throbbing ache in her center, like very tropey at this moment. and she's literally about to jump his bones. Uh, and all of a sudden, oh, breakfast burnt. The fire alarm is going off or something. And they have to stop whatever it is she was about to do and deal with the burnt food. And that ruins the moment. It's a lot of ruined moments in this book for these two. Yes. And for the reader. Legit. It's they have so many almost moments and mm-hmm. then gone. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Um, So I guess they both get ready, go about their day, get to the office or get to the gallery where uh, Bryce is working. 
and find out that Jessica bought a knock, uh, which is some like sort of sea creature. So bought one and is now storing it in the secret library. Uh, so the secret library has this like tank on one end and it's like this massive water tank, almost like a ginormous fish tank, but it takes up one entire wall, like top to bottom. Uh, so the knock is like a sea creature and it's like a merman, but it doesn't really have the human half. I, I think of Grindelow's from Harry Potter. Do you? Yeah, I don't but know why. I don't think that's right, but that's like what's in my head. No, Maybe see, a bit bigger. Yeah, I but like a lot, like the size of a of a person. Yeah, and I just think of it like, yeah, like creature from the Black Lagoon, like mm. lizardy, but like with webbed fingers and like legs and arms, like the basic anatomy of a human, but literally like all scaly and green and gills and. Anyway, apparently it's got real sharp teeth. Um, they like to eat humans. Great. And it's just <laughs> swimming in the tank. They drop like a little like a little tidbit here that they cannot have any part of their body out of the water. It's like a burn. It burns for them. Mm-hmm. Like if they are out of the water, they are immediately dead. Yeah. So breadcrumb <laughs> lahaba complains she thinks the knock is super creepy it keeps sort of like staring at her and fair point man like you're small and you're made of fire obviously water is not your friend mm-hmm. so you know she she complains and like she's essentially locked in the room with this like thing that eats people yeah, it's not a great, you know, situation. It's not, it's not a, a great situ- workplace. No. I think no. she should uh, go to her manager about an unsafe working <laughs> condition. Yeah. Uh, so while they're there, Victoria, the Wraith, member of the Triari, calls them and gives them the results of the test she was running on Danica's clothes and found evidence of a drug called synth on all the victims. So she not only tested Danica's clothes, but all the other victims' clothes too. And she found evidence of synth. That's what Bryce was offered in our very first episode uh, by a drug dealer on the night of Danica's death when she was on her way to the White Raven to party. Someone offered her synth and she said no. Because it was so expensive. It was like insane or something. Yeah. Um. I guess they go, they finish the work day, go back to her apartment. She wants to go out and investigate having this new piece of information, but Hunt sort of convinced her to stay home. She's supposed to have a video chat with her mother and father. Um, He gives us a little insight into his life. Uh, We learn that his mother cleaned houses for a living and when he was old enough to have a job and was a soldier, he was sending her um, any spare money he had. Um, apparently, some random person heard that he was sending her all this money, broke into her 
her dwelling, her home, robbed the money because she hadn't spent any of it. She had saved it all and then killed her. And that's how she died. He didn't know his father. Um, Apparently, Hunt said one of the reasons why he joined the rebellion is because her bosses, so like she did a great job cleaning their houses, her bosses didn't care. Like they didn't make, they didn't do anything to celebrate her life. And nobody would give him leave, like would give him time off to grieve his loss. They didn't care about either of them. So that's sort of one of the reasons why he joined the rebellion because his mother was not high born or high ranking. She was a cleaner and it, it altered how um, he was treated and how she was treated. Um, so they sort of have a normal, what I call a normal experience of like cleaning the apartment together, which I find ridiculous. Like if I was video chatting my mom, I would make sure like the three walls surrounding me were clean in that area. I would not worry about cleaning my bathroom. No. How's how's my mom going to see that? Yeah. Unless I bring her to the bathroom. Anyway, it would not be me, but she says that her mom is is very particular about how the place looks and says that apparently she can smell through the can through the computer. <laughs> whether she used like bleach or not. And so uh, <laughs> uh they chat with uh Bryce's parents. Like she does introduce Hunt to her parents and they seem like lovely and normal and overbearing, loving parents, you know, yeah. how they should be. But I feel like um so I think we've said before that her mom's name is Ember. Uh we're getting, we sort of get the tale of how her parents met, like Ember and Randall, the human dad, the stepdad. Uh, so when Ember was escaping the Autumn King, she actually hid in a temple for three years with Bryce. So she was pregnant, escaped, hid in a temple had Bryce in the temple and spent the first three years of Bryce's life there. And the Autumn King sort of finally tracks her down and they finally have to go on the run again. And Randall was somebody who volunteered, you know, someone just out of the military. He volunteered to protect them so that they could get to the sanctuary they were trying to get to. And I guess... They fell in love and they were together ever since. Um, After talking to her parents, they do decide to go and investigate. So they go to the meat market, of course, where you can get anything and everything. Uh, (laughs) She's a bit, they're a bit obvious. Like they just go around all these vendors and be like, hey, you heard about synth? You heard about synth? You heard about synth? (laughs) And all the vendors are like, no. You know, because obviously, the, even if they are running shady stuff, they're not going to tell the first person that asks them about it. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows what that could do? So, so everyone knows who Hunt is. Yeah. He's a part of yes. the 33rd. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they, the vendors tell her to check the river. So 
they send Therian, the their mer friend that they met. They send Therian an otter, one of the cute little male otters. He breaks the news that he thinks that Danica was the one selling the synth to begin with. Which is um, a wild accusation. It, it is wild. So I guess Bryce wants, like, why are you saying that? How do you know that? But Therian says that he's not actually sure if she was selling it or buying it or what she was doing it with it. She could have been confiscating it. All he knows is that she was seen on a boat with a crate of it the day before she died. So Bryce is sort of, I'm not saying she's having like a midlife crisis, but she's sort of having a crisis of, she's wondering like why Danica didn't tell her about it. Mm -hmm. She's wondering why, you know, Danica was doing all of these things. And if, she even really knew Danica because she's doing all these things and keeping secrets. Uh, she calls Fury about it because she's like, this is one of the people who deals in sort of shady dealings. She knows what's going on about shady things. So she's like, I'm going to call her. She hasn't talked to Fury in like two years. Fury has not answered the phone. Yeah. So it's sort of like a long shot in my mind. Mm-hmm. But she does finally answer the phone and they have a chat about why Danica didn't tell Bryce about the synth. So I guess Fury says that it can give humans veneer level powers for a little bit. That's what the synth does. Um, However, it's super addictive, so it can cause major dependence problems. Because, like, obviously, of course it would. If you are a human and you could be veneer for an hour, like, if you could have those powers that you keep seeing around that you don't have, Mm -hmm. of course you would want them all the time if you could have them. Yeah. So they didn't tell her because it was so dangerous And Fury sort of insinuates that Bryce was sort of on a, I guess I'll say like a destructive path. Like she was always drinking, always doing drugs, always partying. They didn't want her to know about synth because they sort of thought that it would just be the next thing for her to try. And it was so dangerous. They didn't want her to have it. So, you know, Um, they sort of think that Danica figured out who wanted the horn and the synth. So still both so that whoever wanted it couldn't get it, which sounds a bit more in line for Danica's character, for what we know about Danica. She wasn't selfish. She wasn't a thief. So if she's getting these things, it it should be for a worthy cause. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess after this sort of, revelation about Danica and the horn and the synthetic magic, the synth in the next couple of days, she's having a a cranky day uh, because we figure out from Bryce's point of view that it's Danica's birthday. So she goes to a bakery and picks up, uh, I guess a pre-order of Danica's favorite chocolate croissants 
and takes them to the Istros River uh, so that, and she sits right where she can see across the river towards the Bone City or the Bone Quarter. And she's upset because nobody else remembered that it was Danica's birthday. Juniper didn't remember. Fury didn't remember. Her mom didn't remember. She is feeling cranky because she said life goes on and people start to forget, but she can't forget. There's, I guess, such a, a deep hole full of grief and sadness. It's like she cannot move on. And in fairness, it seems so debilitating. I honestly, I don't understand how she's still alive. Like, I, I don't understand how she has gotten up and gone through the motions every single day. You just don't have a choice at that point, but it it sounds exhausting. Yeah. And this sort of sad moment of her, uh, you know, sitting as close as she can to Danica and ready to enjoy Danica's favorite treat is ruined because the new alpha of the new pack that took over for Danica's pack, Emily Ravenscroft, that we sort of had a run in the last episode, managed to get a hold of the croissants and wrote trash on them. Like the word trash <laughs> wrote it on Danica's croissants to insult Bryce. And it's just, it's so frigging unnecessary. Like, that is literally just you being a terrible person. Mm-hmm. You are just doing it deliberately to hurt somebody. Who does that? Yeah. Anyway, it Hunt is is there with her, and he's livid. He is pissed. And I guess he is so pissed, he flies all the way to um, – Moonwood, where they are, and finds her laughing and giggling with her friends. Such mean girl behavior. Like, can you imagine, like, the girls and oh, the friends all being like, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine, like, I was so mean. That is so funny. Oh, my God. I'm such a good jokester. Like, ha uh-huh. It's, <laughs> You just want to smack her upside the head. Yeah, for sure. But we get something almost as good. We get (laughs) Hunt pinning her to the wall and like holding on to her by the throat and saying that she is not allowed to go near Bryce again and essentially scares the shit out of all of them in the pack because they're all there. Ethan is also there and he sort of plays dumb like, oh, I don't know what you mean. Like, what happened? And it's such a satisfying moment for, like, Emily to finally get put in her place. But I really want somebody to call Ethan out on all of his shit. I I don't think he knew that she was doing it. I think he's just being an idiot. Like, not – I think he's just being oblivious to how mean people are being to Bryce. I think he just doesn't want to deal – but he's also being equally mean. Like he's being a terrible person to hurt oh, as he well. Is too. Yeah. But I think he I do think that he realizes that this is too far. I just think he didn't know about it until afterwards, but 
I don't care. He is he is aggravating me to no end. <laughs> I and I will say it until the end. He sort of tries to have a redeeming moment at the end of the book, and I I'm not here for it. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's good enough. Like he treats her like less than garbage. And nobody has like beaten him up. No one has called him out on it and told him he's a jackass. And I really need that. Fair. I need it. Anyway, Hunt leaves after this. And I guess we've sort of had chats all throughout this the book and really especially this section that Bryce should go to a medwitch and get her leg healed, the scar that she had left from uh, Danica, the night Danica was murdered. So she decides to go, and I guess she's told that the reason she's still in pain is because there's leftover venom from the Crystallos demon in her scar, like in her scar tissue. So she decides to go and get it extracted because they want to use that venom to sort of do some, run some tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's actually one specific meta witch whose name we still don't know who's trying to do all these tests, basically. I don't think we get a name here either for her. No, but it's the one that Rune, like, yes, thinks is pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Bryce goes to the clinic and Hunt goes with her because obviously she's struggling to go on her own, whether it's fear of this whole thing happening also the fact that she wants to be punished because she's still alive. It's just, she, she can't go alone. So Hunt goes with her. Um, while they're there, Hunt kind of, kind of apologizes. They kind of have a little moment about how he is the one that stapled her leg and basically gave her the scar. And she's like, she doesn't care about the scar. She's not as material as everyone thinks she is. Um, which is is it another nice moment in one of the things where you're like, Hunt, you need to like stop thinking everything <laughs> you keep thinking. Um, but the Medowitch basically tells her that she doesn't understand how Bryce is still walking. Uh, removing this venom is going to be super painful because it's basically hold its way into her body. It's like parasitic now and it, it wants to stay in there. So... Mm-hmm. It's, it's gonna hurt. Yeah. But it's like hurt a lot. But fair point, because remember, like we talked about, I think, in episode the first episode we did for this book. Mm-hmm. Uh she's like trying, she's like forcing herself not to limp. And mm-hmm. I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how you can let yourself not limp. Yeah. We decided it was something fey because it doesn't make sense for humans. It does not. I and mean, she's half human. So I, I yeah. don't. So the Medowitch like starts the procedure basically to remove it. And um, Hunt helps her through it because she doesn't take any anesthesia or anything. And she goes through the pain because she wants to feel all of the pain, I guess. But Hunt kind of like helps her through it. He calls her sweetheart in a cute way instead of a condescending way. And that's kind of like a cute moment that they have. Um, the Meta Witch eventually gets the venom out. And basically she's able to like put it in 
test tube with some synth and then using her magic to stabilize it, she can get rid of the synth. So they know somehow they can use the venom to counteract synth, but she's still using so much of her magic to do it. So that's obviously not feasible in the real world. You don't have an antidote based on that. So Yeah. So I guess uh, the issue is that the synth is so dangerous that they want some form of way to counteract the effects mm-hmm. once it's consumed. So that's what they're sort of trying to do is they think, well, since crystallis venom neutralizes magic, maybe we can get it to neutralize synth. Yeah. So they're just trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. So it'll basically be an antidote for for like taking the drug of synth. Yeah. So Micah calls Hunt and Bryce in for a meeting later that day. Um, when they get there, Sabine and Emily are there. Um, and Sabine is kind of the reason that this meeting was called. She says, a slave assaulted a free citizen and therefore the slave should automatically forfeit their life, which obviously seems insane. And everyone in the room is kind of like, what the hell, including Emily, even though she's obviously a huge bitch anyway, but she even is like, wait a second, what is happening? So it's it's because Hunt basically threatened Emily. But Micah's like, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to kill him. He's got a job. He's doing shit for me. I'm not going to kill him right here just because he threatened somebody. Um, but they do punish him with what's called the living death, which Eesh. is cutting off an angel's wings, Eesh. which just sounds horrifying. They do grow back, but it obviously takes time. She says that she went to the Underking. She's talking to Bryce now, and she says that she went to the Underking trying to see her daughter in the afterlife. And Danica wouldn't see her because she was ashamed of how she died. The Underking also told Sabine that Bryce made a bargain with him after after Danica died and traded her spot in the bone quarter to ensure Danica would make it. And that makes Danica ashamed, basically, of getting there because maybe she didn't actually earn the spot. And Sabine says that Danica should have just tipped over instead. Micah kind of just kicks everybody out at that point. And Emily, as she's leaving, apologizes. And mm. I, I do believe she's sorry, but it's also like, it's too late. You were a bitch about way too many things. You can't just apologize here and like. Like, she is literally just one of those typical mean girl bitches that wants to bully somebody else because. Uh, you know, she like took her man or whatever. Yeah. That's literally her like reason for living. And then because of what she did, she just saw somebody get their wings cut off. So yeah, yeah I think she's a bit shocked, but like still, I do not forgive her. No. She sure. is a straight up bitch. Yeah. And Sabine is like having this whole conversation with Bryce while Hunt is like passed out on the floor with no wings anymore. It's just like, doesn't seem like this is the time 
Like yeah. what? Again. What are you thinking? Time and place, people. Like I feel like we constantly <laughs> have to say to them this 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 episode, like time and place. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I do sort of not that I get Sabine here. I don't at all. I still think she's a terrible person. But I sort of understand some of her anger towards Bryce in this instance. About because, this one underking situation, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Because, again, like, we all know that werewolves are creatures of loyalty and honor. Like, that mm-hmm. is sort of their their creed. They really revere loyalty and they really revere honor. So, for in Sabine's mind, if her daughter didn't deserve a spot in the Bone Quarter and she has one anyway, like, that is the height of dishonor. So while I get that for Bryce, it was a, I want to do the right thing for my friend and she deserves to have an afterlife. But in Sabine's mind, no, you need to earn your place. And if Mm -hmm. she didn't earn her place and has it anyway, then that's not cool. So like, yeah, I can see why she would be mad about this one thing but yeah. not be the crazy bitch she is for everything else. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, I, I just, I don't, I understand that Bryce obviously was like so full of grief, but like, A, what makes you so sure that you have a spot there that you can trade away to begin with? Yeah. B, everything we've heard about her friend has been about how selfless and like caring and amazing she is. Why wouldn't she have a place? Assuming I- that- it's the same as like heaven hell type thing. That's what they're making it seem like. Like if you're good, you go there. Yes. But also too, like saying that the way she died was dis was like dishonorable. And I don't understand that because as far as we know, she was ripped apart by a crystallos demon. Like how is that not like she, that's not something that she could help. You know what I mean? Like if a demon overpowered her and tore her to shreds, And it, it's not even just her. It's her. It's the entire pack. It's not yeah. like. Yeah. So anyway. So yeah, Bryce kind of thinks to herself that she didn't think that Danica wouldn't make it into the bone corner. She just didn't want to chance it since Danica had always talked about being there, which isn't really Bryce's place. Like, yes, Danica obviously wanted to be there and she wanted to be with her heroes and a part of the city that she loved, but she probably wanted to earn it and know if she earned it. So I can see her spirit, ghost, whatever lives in the bone core, her soul. I can see her actually being upset that Bryce did that because now she doesn't even know if she did deserve to be there and she'll never know. Yeah. As a spirit, soul, ghost thing. Yeah. So the next scene is basically Hunt is passed out in Bryce's bed and she's stroking his hair. Um, He's obviously not doing well. His wings were just chopped the fuck off. So she sends a message to Ethan actually saying that Emily is a piece of shit and that she's going to kill Sabine basically next time she sees her. Um, he says he had nothing to do with it. And like I said before, I kind of believe what I believe him, but he's also still being a piece of shit and not doing much to help her in any way that it's like, if you were such a good friend to her before, like 
your standing by is just as bad as their bullying. Yeah. And like, just for the record, she's going to, she said she's going to kill Sabine because of what she, like, she's the one who brought the whole hunt, hunt threatening Emily to Micah. Mm -hmm. That was all Sabine. So like, she's going to kill Sabine just for making hunt lose his wings. Yeah. It's kind of another mate-ish Yes, thing. like overprotectiveness. Yeah, now that I'm thinking it through. Yeah. But yeah, um, Bryce asks Rune to look after Hunt, which again kind of shows how she's she is relying on Rune a bit more for some things. And like he's enjoying it too, but you can tell that there might be some some salvation in their relation. There might be some fixing it. Yeah. Uh, she has to go to work because Jessica is Jessica and work doesn't wait for anybody. Um, while she's in the gallery, she ends up, Bryce, ends up hacking into Redner Industries website using Danica's username. And the password is through love, all is possible, which you'd think would just be like the first thing she tried, but yeah. it wasn't. So. Redner Industries was this place where Danica used to do her um she used to do security work there. Yeah. They're the reason that they have cell phones and technology and they're like very like Micah invests in them and they like are technology forward. We don't really get into the specifics, but it's probably like an Apple Google. So Bryce has gotten into the Redner Industries website and Danica, I guess, has folders under her profile. So Bryce kind of looks through them and finds like some sneaky ones with her name on it. It's like like party invites or something. And then Bryce. And it reminds her of her secret folder that has her resume in it. So she opens it and she finds a photo of the leather jacket. And then she's like, this must be a clue. So she grabs the jacket and in one of the letters there's a there's a flash drive so she cuts it open and takes the flash drive out she which like how would you not notice a flash drive in your coat after two banging years banging against your back yeah <laughs> you you think you'd or if you lean back wearing the coat in a chair like wouldn't you feel that you would think yeah anyway plot hole <laughs> <laughs> so she obviously checks out the flash drive there's three videos on it and they're videos of synth trials. Um, so they gave synth to basically what looked like a small human girl. And she ripped a veneer to shreds. To pulp, if you will. Um, Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what? And then she kind of, she kills herself as well and rips herself to pulp. Because obviously she is probably disgusted with herself after or she just doesn't want to be where she is anymore and just wants to die we don't know the reasoning well that's not so what i took from it the three videos so like the first video is her being on the synth and then sending one veneer into the room right and then the second video is her being on the synth and they send even more like veneer into the room so she's like building up and up. 
the last video, again, the same thing. They send even more veneer in. She just tears them all apart. And I took it as she was just so crazy hopped up on synth that she tore herself apart. Mm. I didn't take it as like a – I didn't take it as a, a conscious decision to tear herself apart. Oh, okay. They um, – so Bryce shows these videos – to hunt and they realized that whoever killed Danica in the pack was likely on synth based on the videos and how the victims ended up and how Bryce found Danica in the pack that they were pulp and they were likely killed the same way because their bodies looked the same. Yeah. Because remember too, that um, Therian, the Mur found bodies that, look to be from the Crystalos demon and they were not pulpy at all. Yeah. So it, it had seemed a little odd anyway, but now it's even like, oh, well, this is obviously a way that, that they could have been killed. So they kind of realized that maybe the Crystalos demon could have been summoned to use as an antidote, like the Medowitch was trying to do, or they could just be drawn there and it may have nothing to do with the horn. So we really don't, this is really kind of throwing a wrench into things. We don't really know what's going on anymore because this drug has obviously turned all these investigations upside down. Um, Hunt tries to stop her from looking too far into synth uh, again, because he already did a bit earlier when uh, she wanted to go investigate. And he was like, no, you should call your mom. He says that Michael will kill him. And... It's really the only thing that kind of stops her. Um, he he kind of tells her that he wants an after with her. So after all, this investigation is over, he wants to be able to spend the rest of his time with her. And he thinks that they have a future together. So I guess he's trying to sort of tell her or trying to imply that he thinks the whole thing with the synth is unrelated. Like he's saying oh, well, yeah, sure, the synth is interesting, but it doesn't really have to do with Danica's death. Like, mm-hmm. let's focus on that instead. Like, he yeah. doesn't think they're linked at all. Yeah. And it's looking back after a few chapters later, like, when he's saying it, it's kind of cute, and you're like, oh, they he wants to be with her, but it, it's kind of manipulating. Um, but I guess she, she kind of buys it, and she's really happy, so they finally kiss. For reals. <gasps> Woo! <laughs> so she tells him that she wants all of it. And we all imagine it's going to be a fun, sexy time next. As the reader, obviously. And for a bit it is. Um, Bryce gets hers. But Hunt's wings were literally just cut off. So I think it's been maybe a full 24 hours since that. So he's not doing so hot by the end of it because she's basically like grinding into his hand, which is pushing him against the couch. And then he's uh, he's not moaning in pleasure. He's groaning in pain. And he starts bleeding profusely during their good makeout sesh. Uh, she gets <laughs> extremely embarrassed. And like when we say like they were going at it, mm-hmm. like – uh, it's it, it was actually very satisfying. Like they were finally getting to it. Like 
the very first line in this whole thing is the moment Hunt's lips met her own, Bryce erupted. Like, they were not going, like, sweet and tender and, oh, it's Mm. our first time. Like, they were going for it. And, like, he, they were, like, being rough with each other. He was, like, ripping her clothes off. She was, like, yanking on his pants, straddling him, grinding on him. He was, like, biting her boobs. Like, (laughs) it was, like, he was enjoying it at at first yes and it's obviously it's in bryce's point of view so she didn't realize when it turned so obviously we as the reader don't know exactly when it turned either but i just kind of feel bad for her because like this is hunt's fault like (laughs) he should have really said something before he got to this point of bleeding all over the couch yeah he does obviously want to have sex with her but oh yeah he, she calls a meta witch instead. Like, and I quote, he says, I am going to fuck you until you can't remember your God's damned name. So like he is in it for the most yeah. part. So like she orgasms and every nerve in her body exploded into glorious starlight. So remember the last episode we talked about him seeing stars? Mm-hmm. Well, she sees starlight. And it's really only that like little tiny bit where she's like, He's fingering her and she comes. That's when he's in pain. Yeah. But like all the the up to this, he's like, I have plans for this beautiful ass. Like he's saying, come for me. Like mm-hmm. he's into it until like the last 30 seconds. <laughs> it's true. And then he sort of wants to continue too. Yeah. Which is like such a pillar of him as a person not yeah he's not a person but him as a male it's like he doesn't care about his own pain he just wants this basically yeah. so yeah he he 100 just wants to have sex but she's like no we're we're gonna get a meta witch because you are bleeding heavily so a meta witch does come and she tells him that he's not cleared for sex until his wings grow back completely so that is a bummer. And we're all like, ugh. We're, we're like three quarters of the way through this book, and you're telling me that they're not going to have sex again until his wings grow back? Like, how long does that take? We don't know. We don't have wings. <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. So uh, Hunt kind of goes to bed because he's in pain, and his wings were chopped off, and he needs some rest. So... Yeah. Bryce sneaks out to go look at her and Danica's old apartment for clues. She gets there and it is on fire. So she's like, someone's clearly monitoring her emails since she asked the landlord if she could come look at it, I guess. And um, she emailed him and he responded. So somebody's clearly monitoring her emails and worked extremely fast. So I guess she's just standing outside of the apartment like, what the fuck? And Therian kind of finds her because they had gone to him and asked about any synth deals that he'd seen because she was told to go look at the river. So Therian finds her and he brings her out to see a synth deal that is like currently happening. They have to go right now. She can't go get anyone to help. They're on their way. They kind of get close enough on a wave skimmer and the Viper Queen is on the boat. 
and it looks like she's the one selling it, which is a interesting, uh, but unsurprising. It's more fact. of a, of course she is. Like, yeah, she's the one that can procure anything and everything for her for anybody as long as you have the money. So, exactly. So it's like, ah, uh, yes. But then the buyer turns around, pulls their hood down, and is like in the spotlight for a second. And Bryce is like, Jesus fucking Christ, it's Hunt. Dun, dun, so. dun. <laughs> right? Um, this Hunt. was, I will say, one of the biggest plot twists I think I've ever encountered in a book like this. Like, our main sort of protagonist like male protagonist turns mm-hmm. out to be like well i guess it is pretty typical he has an ulterior motive to something yeah but he's like a bad guy really yeah. at this moment we're like yeah did he kill danica like what the fuck is going on yeah and it's just like you would have never thought like i was not expecting this at all no and I don't know. I kind of don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. It just makes me not trust any of the characters when I'm reading this book now. (laughs) Really. I'm like, well, they're. So, yeah, Hunt is the buyer, and Vic is there, the Wraith, Victoria, and Justinian is there, who is another rebel turned slave angel. In the 33rd. Yes, in the 33rd. So Bryce basically like leaps out of the boat when she sees Hunt because she is heartbroken. She's. Yeah. Well, she literally thought that she left him like sick and poorly in bed with no wings after they just like, after she just like grinded on him so much she saw starlight as she orgasmed. And now all of a sudden here he is. Yeah, after also trying to stop her from investigating synth in general, he's there buying it. It's it's kind of wild. So the Viper Queen set them up, though, and Micah basically immediately shows up after Bryce jumps on the boat. So Hunt, Justinian, and Vic were apparently hoping to use synth to be power enough to break their halos. Um Hunt has known about Sith for days and has been trying to find a way to buy it. Can I just say I find that really hard because, like, he's been with her almost the entire time. How is he, like, how is he finding time to do this without her? Yeah. So I guess he he murdered some people for Micah and they told him about it. But, like, how how did he figure out how to buy it? Does he just yeah. not sleep, I guess? like Maybe. <laughs> One of those. Um, So they kind of get into, they do a bit of a breakdown about everything that happened with Danica now because somehow magically everybody on the boat knows what happened two years ago. But for me, I'm like, there's so much happening and they they like make so many claims that it's just like, I feel like there's so many leaps in this section. But just to get right into them. Um, Danica apparently sold the original amount of synth that was on the streets two years ago. So she stole it from Redner Industries. And I guess that's why she was on the boat the day before she was murdered. And she sold that amount and it didn't last long. 
but it hasn't been on the streets anymore until somebody, I guess, figured out how to replicate it. And now they're selling it again. Danica was apparently also addicted to it, though. Bryce had no idea. And you'd think that Bryce would know her friend well enough to know. Yeah. But anyway, we're just going to bypass that as well. Um, They also say that Danica must have killed the two CCU students. So there was two students that were nearby where she was posted the night that the horn was stolen. And they're saying that she must have killed them after they saw her stealing the horn. And then Hunt specifically himself says that he believes that Danica took too much synth the night of her death, basically, and accidentally murdered her entire pack and herself. You know, all those accidental murders that happen. Yeah. Um, Micah agrees with this, but Bryce obviously can't wrap her head around it. And I'm, I'm on Bryce's side here. I'm like, after everything we've seen about Danica through Bryce's eyes, it just seems hard to imagine that this is what happened. And Bryce is sort of, I find almost too accepting at this point. Like, yeah, she like, she's in shock. She's in shock and just sort of accepts it as fact. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, and it does sort of tie up all the loose ends very nicely. Yeah. No, it does. But I'm. it's just like, it's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. And how did these people just jump to all of these same conclusions? It's just like, I when I was reading it, I almost felt like I was just missing something. <laughs> they also say that Danica just stole the horn as a joke. And the Crystallos demon is apparently just a side effect of large doses of synth. So synth has summoning salt in it. And it also has the unholy number of the Crystallos demon. So the drug is on the streets, people are using it, and then they're accidentally summoning this exact demon. And that's basically how the guard and the accolade were murdered. Like, yeah, this time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Max Tertian. Yes, him too. So Fury magically shows up at this boat, which is like another wild thing, but... I really do hope we get kind of like a side story about her because I I need more information. Yes. But Bryce is obviously losing it that Hunt knew and didn't tell her that she's learning all these things about Danica that don't make sense with what she knows about her. And and he already deduced all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, and just like, didn't tell her. Yeah. I, like, I'd be, I'd be pissed too. Definitely. He led her around in circles and she was like, you should have just talked to her really, but did not. Hunt tells Bryce basically that he wanted to back out of this deal after he saw the trial footage, but he couldn't stop Vic and Justinian, which I think is a super shitty thing to say in front of Micah. Like Micah's just standing there like, you guys are all treasonous, but Hunt's like, I didn't want to do it anymore. They forced me. It's like, I know he's trying to tell Bryce that he likes her and stuff, but I'm like, this is not, maybe not the time. Yeah, it's sort of like he's throwing them under the bus. 100%. Um, Yeah, he says he just wants to be with her and doesn't care about rebelling anymore, which is kind of shitty too. Like, he had a point with the rebellion. They're still slaves. It's not like just because he's happy and in, in like with somebody, now that he's 
found somebody he maybe sees a future with, like he's still a slave. Yeah. Um, Life is no better for humans. Yeah. Um, Bryce <laughs> whips a pearl at his head that he had bought her and it, it cuts his head, which I just thought was kind of funny in that moment. But How does a pearl cut your head? I know. Like, did she, like, how hard pearls, did she <laughs> Pearls are round. Yeah. They're not sharp. No. Unless this like, is a I really just, cheap pearl. I just imagine it like hitting him in the temple like a bullet, but clearly not hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> she must have really whipped it at his head then. Yeah, basically. Um, Fury at this point, like kind of protects Bryce a bit. Like she goes over and she basically threatens the governor to leave Bryce alone, which she clearly has some balls on her to, uh, to do that, to but- think that she can threaten a governor and get away with it. But also, like, she must have a good deal of clout, like, for the fact that she can do that and not get repercussions. Like, she can do that. He's not going to say anything to her. So, like, who the hell is she? Like, she must be someone really, like, she must be a really good assassin, spy, whatever she does for a living. The fact that she can do that and get away with it. Who is she? Yeah, exactly. There's more to that story. Yeah. Um, Hunt says that he was trying to protect Bryce since her heart was already broken. And it's lame. Like, lame. That's the dumbest answer ever. No, lame. Thank you, next. Like, yes. Move like, along. <laughs> I don't want you to lie. Uh, you know, don't lie. That's silly. So Fury kind of brings Bryce back to her, to Bryce's apartment. And on the way, I guess... She, Fury had called Rune and he meets Bryce at her apartment and he kind of like comforts her and he holds her while she sobs and like she's still kind of trying to process everything. And Bryce kind of comes to the conclusion that Hunt must have burnt down the apartment building because he didn't want her to figure it out, which I don't know what his end game was because like people would have figured it out eventually. Like I don't know what he was trying to really save her from. It, it would have come out down the road. like. Yeah. Well, like, if the whole reason they wanted the synth was to break their halos, obviously, breaking their halos, you know, people would notice. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what was he planning on doing once his halo was broken? Is he just going to, like, continue living with Bryce and be like, (laughs) Micah, you can't see me. I'm not here. Like... That's why his what? hair is long. He's going to wear his ball cap all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what, like, yeah, I agree. I don't know what the plan of attack was after, like, the immediate sort of breaking our halos. What was the goal then? What were they going to do? Yeah. So I guess Bryce and Rune are in her apartment and Fury comes back and kind of talks to Rune because Bryce is kind of still, like, in her head processing and not responsive so fury kind of tells rune that justinium was crucified and is currently bleeding in the lobby of the comedium so he's basically just in the lobby dying to show what'll happen if you rebel (laughs) and vic the wraiths her essence is in a box and it's gonna be thrown into the ocean so like 
she's a wraith, so I think her whole deal is she can switch from body to body, mm-hmm. right? Like that's her whole thing. And apparently they took her her soul, I guess. Yeah. And put it in a locked box and and put it in the bottom of the at the like deepest part of the ocean. So she's just going to hang out there conscious with no body in the dark in the bottom of the ocean by herself for eternity. Yeah. Cuz I guess because <laughs> she doesn't have a body so I'm assuming she can't die. Yeah. Yeah. So, it seems Way harsh. Worse. Yeah. I mean, if I had to choose, I wouldn't choose either. Like if it came down to it, I I wouldn't be happy with either choice. <laughs> you could either be crucified or I could take your soul, put it in a box, and put in the bottom of the ocean for you to live forever and ever by yourself. Like, neither option seemed great. No, no. I'd much rather Hunt's option, which is at the moment, he's in a holding cell awaiting his fate. I will say, Micah was very quick to decide what was going to happen to the rebels. Like, there was no trial or anything like that. It was just like, uh, it's like... It just seems weird that he had these punishments in his back pocket. Yeah, it's a, it's another mark in the maybe he's really becoming his true self instead of like yeah. the fair, just person we thought he was in the beginning of the book. Like who thinks to crucify somebody in the lobby of a building? Like how do you think of that? You He must have like sort of had that already as an option in mm-hmm. his brain. Definitely. Anyway. So we jump to Hunt's point of view very briefly, and he's in a holding cell, and he's just watching video of Vic and Justinian's punishment. Like, can I just say, what sort of prison cell, like holding cell, has a TV? (laughs) This is the future. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Yeah. I know. It seems seems a bit much, but I guess. It's a fancy, fancy prison cell. Yeah, I guess if the point is to, like, show all the shit that's going down, maybe it makes sense. Or show what you're missing out on. Not in his case, but kind of. Yeah. So Isaiah comes to talk to Hunt, and he asks why Hunt and the Hunt and Vic and Justinian did this. And it's like, Isaiah, you're a slave, too. Like, you know why. I know, like, Isaiah's like, it clearly wasn't going to work like you shouldn't have done this thank you for your retrospective opinion but they didn't know it necessarily wouldn't have worked i don't know i just thought that that was a bit mm. but then too there's cameras everywhere so it, it does make sense that he would ask i also i feel like isaiah's sort of this like ideal character like Yes, he rebelled. Yes, he's a slave, but he's worked really hard and like he doesn't act like a slave. He's not really treated like one as far as we've mm-hmm. seen. Like it said even earlier in the book that it was um sort of even though he's a slave, he's still the commander of the 33rd. Like mm-hmm. he was still sort of respected. Yeah. And it even said that Micah was going to maybe petition Isaiah for his freedom. Yeah. So, like, I feel like for him it wasn't as hopeless. 
So he didn't understand the hopelessness aspect of it. Like, why would you do this? Like, you had a deal. But, like, Isaiah was so close to being out of it and wasn't really treated like a slave that much that maybe he had a a skewed perspective. Maybe. Or maybe he's just playing it up for the cameras. Like, it's it's obviously hard for us to know without getting in his head, too, but – it just, I was just like, this is a dumb question. You know why he's doing this. Like, he has a completely different job in this 33rd than you do. And it's it's killing him. So Hunt basically says that, and you gotta wonder if this is being taped. Because the plan was basically to get the synth, remove their halos, and murder Micah and, I guess, all the other archangels slash important people at the summit and then go to Pangera to assist. Um, Isn't really a great plan. I also wouldn't say it out loud in a building where Micah lives, owns everything. Yeah. um, Has cameras. It just seems really surprised that he actually said that. I know that we needed to hear it kind of as the reader, but I was like, it seems dumb. Yeah. uh, He also says... Um, sorry, Isaiah says that they all know that Hunt tried to stop the deal. Um, Micah knows that too because of texts that I guess Hunt had been sending to Vic and Justinian. And Micah also knows that Bryce had nothing to do with it. So he's not going to go after Bryce, which is good for Hunt to hear because he's, he's kind of, was kind of worried about that. We pop back over to Bryce's point of view and she's at work. And they still have no idea kind of what's going to happen to Hunt. And, um, but at this point we hear that Justinian is dead. So I guess that has come out in the news because she knows that. Um, the Meadowitch sent her a vial of antidote from the venom in her leg, which is nice of her. Breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah, she puts that in the safe, which, you know, I completely forgot about. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a breadcrumb that I didn't really pick up on the first time around so the autumn king shows up and it's kind of the first interaction i think that we get with bryce and her biological father in this book um because obviously earlier in these chapters he wouldn't let her come in or the guards wouldn't let her come in so she couldn't have the interaction that we wanted so the autumn king says that the governor's not going to harm her since she wasn't involved. And he, I guess, put a word in to say, she's part of this house. Don't touch her. Um, he also tells her that he loved her mother and he's sorry for what happened. And he almost made Ember his queen, which is all news to Bryce. Like she didn't realize this at all. She kind of thought that he was heartless and, I mean, it's really not a good time to be telling her this because she's already processing so much. She's like, I don't yeah. even care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I will say that, like, I don't know if this is meant as like a humanizing moment for him or if it's meant to gain sympathy. Um, I do not sympathize with him at all. Like, yes, he comes in and has this nice moment and says, like, I did love your mother. I just wanted what was best. Like, I would have made her my queen. He's, like, sort of insinuating, look, see, I'm not bad because I was going to make a human my queen. Like, ooh, look at me. And it's 
like it's not having the intended effect. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, he also says that Bryce is more like him than she realizes and that that is not a good thing. You're like, thanks, I guess. Thanks for showing up, Dad. This was all a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I can see it because, like, they're both stubborn. Mm -hmm. Like, they're both outspoken. You know, they're both, you know, I can see the similarities. Yeah. But it's just, I'm like, seems like a weird time to drop all this stuff. I don't know. Time and place. (laughs) So now we pop right back to Hunt's point of view again. Um, And Sandriel goes to see Hunt. And again, he has a screen in his cell. So she has his phone and she starts playing like a slideshow of his photos on the screen behind him to kind of taunt him. And it kind of goes through like the first photo I think that Bryce took was a selfie of herself at the store when they got her new phone. And then as time went on, I guess they've kind of had a thing where they just are taking pictures of each other and taking selfies Whatever. So he's kind of looking at the pictures and he can kind of see the light in both his eyes and Bryce's eyes kind of get brighter as their time together went on. Yeah, they were healing each other. Yeah. And it's kind of like a sweet realization, but also it's a bit late because (laughs) we now figure out (laughs) that Sandriel owns Hunt again. And that is devastating, obviously. Because she is not good. Yeah, so I guess that was the punishment that Micah decided he deserved for even thinking about rebelling is selling him back to Sandriel. It's kind of like... That's like almost the worst thing you could do. It is for Hunt, but it's also like he said he was going to sell Hunt back to Sandriel for attacking Amelie like a few chapters ago and the only reason that Hunt actually backed out of this is because he realized that the drug was so crazy it's not like he backed out because he realized like I was wrong rebelling is bad like Micah could really have done a lot worse than he did but yeah so Bryce obviously has no idea that any of that is happening And she goes to see Rune to thank him. And they kind of decide that they want to try to have a relationship again. Um, Like a brother. brother, Yeah, a brother-sister. A brother-sister people. We're not. Bryce is is still kind of healing, which is nice to see. Even though Hunt is not in her life right now, she's still going through the motions of like still. She's not reversing too far into the way she was before she met him. Right. So Bryce gets home and Fury is on her couch. Fury has some news. She makes Bryce promise she won't do anything stupid. Uh, Fury tells Bryce that Hunt is being given to Sandriel. So like, I don't even think Sandriel had to pay for him. Michael was just like, this is the worst thing I could do. Have him. Um, Bryce kind of brings up the last two years between herself and Fury. Which, Rightfully so. Yeah. We kind of needed this conversation. So Fury kind of says that she was mad at herself for giving Bryce the drugs the night that Danica died. Like, obviously, that night Bryce had brought some of her own drugs, 
But Fury also came with different drugs. So she is mad about that situation because Bryce almost died. And part of it was because she was on so many drugs when she was trying to get home. And then when she was running after a demon, like probably not the best time to be high as a kite. I mean, Um, to each their own. (laughs) Well, it's probably better than running after a demon sober and then being scared shitless. That's true. I don't know. So basically, Fury's just was just afraid that she was going to lose Bryce that night, too. And she feels kind of responsible for it. And Bryce kind of goes back and is like, but you and Juniper have still, like, spoken. And that's kind of bullshit. Like, I know we were all friends. It's it's shitty that you just decided to keep her and kind of dump me. And Fury kind of says that they have a special relationship. And it takes Bryce a second but she kind of realizes that Fury and Juniper are actually together and they are in love. Are they, but like at this point, are they together or do they just have like feelings for each other? Cause I didn't, I didn't get that they were actually together together. I thought that they just like were into each other, but hadn't really like started a relationship. I thought that they were together, especially cause she then says that Fury says, that Juniper's helping her work through her shit. So, like, I guess it could be the beginning and, like, this is kind of, like, I don't know. Fury definitely knows that she's in love with Juniper at this point. Whether there's a full-blown relationship happening, I guess we don't 100% know. But also, how would we know? Bryce hasn't spoken to Fury in years, basically. Um, Fury almost kind of apologizes, but doesn't really, because that's not really in her nature. And... um this section kind of just ends with Bryce saying in her head, and I quote, I promised Fury I wouldn't do anything stupid. I didn't say I wouldn't do anything smart. So next week, I'm expecting a very smart plan. I'm expecting something the opposite of that. Well, Bryce lied to me, and that makes me upset. <laughs> because like... Whenever you think you're you have a smart plan, it's not. I know. So next week we'll find out what this super smart plan is belonging to Bryce. Uh that wraps it up for this week. Next week will be the rest of our, our book. We're gonna go right to the end. Chapter 71 to 98. If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at coffeeandcoread. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you on the next page.